You're listening to Invisible Malaysia. In this episode, Tanaganita Program Officer Hasna Hussein talks about why her parents left Myanmar and what it's been like for her to be born and raised a refugee in Malaysia. Now, there's a little bit of Malay in the introduction when I describe Tanaganita, but the rest of the conversation is in English. I hope you find the episode useful. Hello everyone, my name is Nadine Faisal. I'm an intern at Tenaganita. Tenaganita merupakan sebuah organisasi hak asasi manusia yang mempromosikan dan memelihara hak asasi um, golongan-golongan pekerja dari luar negara, uh, refugee, trafficked individuals, women and children in those communities too. Uh, hari ini saya bersama Hasna yang merupakan sebuah case officer dekat Tenaganita. We are going to talk and have a conversation about people with refugee status in Malaysia. As we both know, there are 170,000 registered refugees with the UNHCR, which is the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And there might even be double that number. Yes, even triple because there uh, are many more unregistered. Yeah, there are lots of undocumented um, people who would qualify for refugee status as well. Hasna, who is my colleague at Tenaganita, herself has refugee status. You are registered with the UNHCR. Um, So she would be the most qualified to tell us what that means, what it means to be a refugee in Malaysia. Okay, a little bit background about myself. Okay. I was born in 1992 at Serengganu, Kemaman. Mm. Basically, if you are born in any country, you belong to that country national, mm. as in you are the citizen of the country. But as a refugee in Malaysia, because we are not, Malaysia is not signatory to the refugee convention, mm. I'm still a refugee. By the status, I supposed to be stateless because I was born here. I'm not Malaysian, neither from Myanmar because I was not born there, no identity. But because my parents are from Myanmar and they are refugee, so the refugee status transferred to me. Not transferred, basically sharing the refugee status yeah. because of my parents. Yeah. So my parents is Rohingya refugee. Mm-hmm. My mom from Situ, my dad from Mongdo, mm-hmm. and both of them meet here in Malaysia. Basically, this is my second dad. My first dad, I never saw him, and I never knew who is he actually. Yeah. I just found out that my my current dad is not my biological dad. Six years back, when Yunisia called us and said, "Can we speak to your stepdad, please?" Yeah. And then that's when you figured out yes. that your dad was your stepdad. Yes. So I guess the question that a lot of Malaysians would want to ask is. Why did your parents... Because you were born in Malaysia, right? And you said the refugee status was transferred to you just because you're born in Malaysia doesn't mean you're a citizen. Yep. Uh, But going back to your parents, why did your parents come to Malaysia in the first place? Okay, first of all, they was born in a country where the country don't recognize them as a citizen. Mm. They are Rohingya minorities back in hometown. Mm. Until today, since they are Rohingya, and Muslims in Myanmar, they are not recognized as one of the ethnic in Myanmar. Mm. So because of that, they receive a lot of persecution. Uh, my dad is religious scholar, so he was basically harmed by the government and the soldier itself because uh, he is practicing religion and it's not easy to practice religion in a country where it's not ruled by the democratic 
way or a Muslim country such as Malaysia. So my dad have to run because of the religion's perspective way where he receive a lot of persecution. He has to do forced labor, same like other refugee. He has to go for portraying where he got beaten up, he got arrested for no reason. And then finally when he could not take it anymore, he decided to just left the country and then be safe in Malaysia. And when come to my mom, my mom, uh, she'll have to laugh because she used to be entrepreneur when mm-hmm. she was in back back in hometown, and in situ. Uh, sorry, she was born in situ, but she grew up and do her business in Yangon. Oh, so okay. she has traveled from situ to Yangon, Yangon to situ. Is like, Yangon the capital? Yes. So as a Rohingya refugee, you are not allowed to travel. You don't have any documentation to prove yourself. Basically, you are just human being living in a country with no documentation. They give you one kind of card uh, in in Burmese or in Rohingya they call Yaye Kapra, which stated that you are Bangali or Bangladeshi, which is many people don't receive or don't want to accept that card because why should I accept a card which stated myself as a Bangladeshi? even though I was born, grew up, and I'm a citizen of Myanmar. So my mom don't used to have that card. So she used travel document, like you have to pay certain amount to the um, village leader. And every checkpoint, you have to pay certain amount to travel to another village. So it's not easy as Malaysia where you can go from Jalan Satu ke Jalan Dua with no payment. So in Myanmar, it's more strict when it comes to this kind of sub-ethnic and minority ethnic. So my mom was the entrepreneur. One of the biggest challenge that she faced, she cannot practice her religion. So she was not wearing hijab. So once in a while, if she practiced her religion, she got arrested. Plus, uh, when the government found out she is a Rohingya who are doing her own small business because she's selling uh, vegetables. Like she take vegetables from Situe with cheaper price and sell it in Yangon or fruits. She do her own business to survive because my mom uh, very independent since very young because uh, my mom's family have so many siblings and my mom have to su- support herself in order to survive. So she has been doing her own business since very young age. So she's used to those discrimination words so she hide herself as a Rohingya most of the time so when she was revealed by the government by the people around that she's a Rohingya wearing hijab a Muslims so she was basically uh, haunted by the soldier the soldier wanted to arrest her so at that time she decided to leave my other siblings back in hometown and I was I was on my mom's tummy at the time. My mom was pregnant and she didn't know about it. And then she went to Thailand. So she was in Thailand for quite a while, for a few months while waiting. How did she get to by bus. By bus and train. According to her, at that time it was a bit easier to travel from Yangon to Thailand because the border is not very strict like now. So she traveled by bus and train to Thailand. She was waiting for her her name to be clear in the government side so that she can re-enter the country. But later my granny, my maternal granny informed my mom because they are in touch. They informed my mom, your name has been deleted from our family censor. 
much. Yes. So, which also mean if by chance she enter Myanmar again and she encounter any of the authority, she will be immediately arrested. So they have this family censor where the soldier will come to you consequences. I mean, uh, will come to you every time, every week, sometimes two days, one time, three days, one time to check who are in your house. They will see the family censor if only five name, one extra person, that extra person will be arrested and these five people will have to pay fine. And that they don't do that to the Burmese citizens of no, Myanmar. They only no. do that to to the minorities. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not really sure about how other community treated because uh, this experience all shared by my own parents. Mm. So I know these are going on when they left mm. the country. So that's how they met. Uh, they left the country and then they came to Malaysia. Basically, I grew up alone. I was born in Terengganu and then my mom moved to KL. When she knows she cannot go back to her hometown, there is nothing in Thailand for her. And then at that time, Thailand was very, very famous for trafficking. Mm. So my mom has this fear that she's going to be trafficked into sex trafficking, organ trafficking. She has that fear in herself. So she decided to come a little bit forward to Malaysia and try to survive. So when she arrived in Malaysia, I was born in Terengganu. According to my mom, I was quite um, quite few years in Terengganu, maybe one to two, three years. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Terengganu, kita faham. Tapi okay. sebab kita grow up dekat KL, kan? Uh, so, bahasa KL lagi familiar. Uh, I see, I see, I see. So, my mom moved from Terengganu to KL. And in KL, I grew up alone, we faced a lot of discrimination, being among Malaysian. Uh, people, people, my neighbor, used to call me Budak Burma, not even by my name. In Myanmar, Kala is a discrimination word to Rohingyas. Same like in Malaysia, Indians don't like to be called Kaling. Mm. I, I'm sorry to use this word, but these are some examples that I could use to explain why Kala is so sensitive to Rohingyas because it sounds the same to Indian in Malaysia to, for us to call them Kaling. So this discrimination would continues for many years until they accept me being blended in the community itself because at that time I remember only three house of Rohingya in my housing area. So it's more to like uh, they started to accept me the way I am started to call my name. My parents try very hard to put me in school. Before my parents met, kita berpindah rendah. It's not safe to stay in one place because rates, harassment, so many things going on around us. There are times when me and my mom have to hide in water tank because the rates was going on. In the roof. Yes. In the roof of the house, me and my mom hide me. Uh, my mom hide me in water tank. She basically put her hand all the time on my mouth so that I don't cry. It was fearful time for me, but still, by the time all the pain gone, but the memory is still fresh. The memory is still fresh. When I think of those days, I feel... How lucky am I that I'm still surviving in Malaysia?
Malaysia. How great is my mom and dad that they able to put me alive, still keep me alive until today. Because we, I did face a lot of things. I grew up, honestly, I grew up alone. That's why friends to me meet a lot. I don't have siblings near to me. My mom was a single mother until I was 10, not even 10, 6 maybe. Until after 6, I got my dad. They met somewhere, I, I don't know. And then I know he's my dad from that time until today. And he never, he never treat me in a way that make me feel I'm not his own daughter. So I never knew that he was my, he is my stepdad. For me, he has been my hero. He's my first crush, <laughs> my everything. Yeah. Okay, because he's there whenever I need him, he's there, including my mom. It's just that living in Malaysia as a refugee is not easy. My mom have to do three jobs in a day in order to feed me. My dad do three jobs as well. KLCC that you guys seeing right now. My my dad was one of the worker in those one from thousands hand that build up KLCC. Some of the hand was from my community people. Oh my god! My dad was a, a construction worker in KLCC. He was arrested once during working and then detained, prison, deported to Thailand. Traffic to uh, fisherman for a few months, and then when his his condition about to die because he was very weak, being in the sea for a few months it's literally killing you, slow killing people call. So when he's about to die, the fisherman drop him back to the land. Mm -hmm. The people in the community in the land side they try to arrange something and deport him, not deport him help him to re-enter Malaysia and reunite with us. And where was he fishing? It was in Thai border, okay. Thai Sea. Okay. So he has experience of being trafficked. And then we was alone at that time when he was not there. Nearly one year, we was in KL without him. And then trying, our, we are trying not to get arrested. We don't want to get arrested, definitely. So. Uh, after that, my parents get a house where the community accept us. The rates was decreasing slowly and in 2003, we was given UNICR card. Me, my mom, my dad, three of us got UNICR card, registered refugee. So we have some kind of protection. Protection according to the international law, UNICR card should be able to protect you from not being arrested. But in my case, it's not always correct because sometimes we got stopped. So far, Alhamdulillah, maybe it's because of my look, my way of talking, I was never arrested. But stop once in a while, whenever they feel like stopping me. And then I never pay bribe to any police officer. Yes, I asked them to go out with me for a tea time. <laughs> but never being bribed them. And my parents, it's very dedicated on my education. So I was not studying until uh, Dajah Lima. Yeah. But I was able to get into the school after Dajah Lima. So it's Dajah Nam, uh, saya sekolah dekat SMK Taman Muda. Taman Muda. Taman Muda is in Ampang. Oh, I see. 
So I was studying there. I sit for my UPSR. The result was not very good. I have no E so far, but for me the result was not good enough because our expectation is much more higher. Even though I know I'm from belong to the refugee community, but my parents did as much as they can. My mom have to work three different house as domestic worker in order for them to teach me some basic subjects such as Malay, English, maths. Uh, forget about geography and history because they can't. So after UPSR, I was able to sit for my PMR, SPM, but all this credit go to my mom and my dad. Without they trying, honestly, many people have cheated them in many ways. Like I can put your daughter in school, pay me this amount. I can put your daughter as my anak angkat. Since I'm a Malaysian, I can anak angkat your daughter, and your daughter can go to school. They have cheated many times to my mom and dad, but finally, with some effort. Not some effort. A lot of effort, uh, regardless of all the pain, all the suffering that they went through, they was able to put me in government school. And Alhamdulillah, I'm very proud to say that I'm from those few people who was very lucky to sit for SPM. And if you ask me, if your next question is SPM mean anything for a refugee, I would say yes. It's mean almost. Seventy percent of ourselves being in Malaysia and being me right now in Tanagamita as case officer. People said education in in a in a government school it's not really what we need, mm. like refugee children need. Refugee children can study in community based organisation schools, but for those who are saying that, I would really like them to. I would like to invite them to our community school and see how this community school actually run. Mm. For those who can't even speak good Malay, they are teaching Malay to other kids. How that make you feel? And the children themselves started to feel we have no future. Why should we waste time every day coming to school? We should just work or get married, and then. The problem came out where people assuming Rohingya refugees have the highest rank in minor marriages, which is not very not true at all. They have they are minor marriages happening in our Rohingya community, but due to various reasons. I wish I could change people perspective on this issue because it is not true. What people are seeing in media's about Rohingya refugees or refugee community, because we have our strength. We are in Malaysia, yes. I myself a refugee, but I never beg for your sympathy. But see my resilience, see my strength, should be good enough for me to keep surviving in this country, in this world, basically. Like I'm. Very blessed that I was born in Malaysia. I don't see anyone getting raped in front of me. I don't see. That happens in Burma. It's happened in Burma. Mm-hmm. I don't see anyone being killed in front of me. So I'm I'm away from those kind of tragic event. But yet I'm expecting more from a country where I was born. 
Maybe in future I got resettled to any other third country. I really hope I do resettle, not because I want to run away from Malaysia, but I promise I will come back to Malaysia. I own a lot of things for Malaysia. If I got chance, definitely I would. I would like to pay back to Malaysia whatever they have given to me, my family and my community. Mm-hmm. A protection, a shelter where my parents. Yes, for some source. We are being discriminated, but in other hand, we have some privilege of living in this world, living in this country, and practicing our own religion, the way of our living. You can see sometimes people are saying words like, "You should appreciate that we give you a shelter to stay in Malaysia. A shelter means a, a safe place living in Malaysia. At least you don't get killed." I would like to tell those people, yes, we really appreciate. I don't want to answer on behalf of other people, but I really appreciate Malaysia. It's my hometown. I'm born here, so no matter what, I still consider myself as a part of Anak Malaysia. I think that feeds into a question that a lot of people seem to have: What has, or in your experience, what has the government done to help your community? What kind of government service is accessible to you? Um, this is a a little bit tricky question for me because I was born here. Yeah. The lay the way of my living, the way of my talking, my lifestyle is different from those who are coming from Myanmar. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm special, but maybe maybe because of my certain look, which people say I look like a little bit of Malaysian. I don't get questions so much in getting services, such as being in hospital. When I was delivering my baby, honestly, I did not face any discrimination. I delivered my baby in government, uh, half government hospital HUKM, so it's half private, half government. We pay quite high amount of fee compared to Malaysian, but I was not discriminated. I did not face those experience which I was told by my other community members because please don't get me wrong when I say you are in delivery pain suddenly you go to hospital definitely you are screaming because of the pain what would you feel when the nurse said what tu main tak kisah tapi nak lahir anak kau bising What would you feel? Yes, they don't understand your language. The meaning of the language, because since you are here, it's like when you have a sex, you was enjoying it. But why are you screaming while delivering a baby? So that's kind of command being thrown to some of the refugee communities. Some of them even face physical abuse by the nurses in hospital, like when they ask you to. Lie down. When they don't understand your language, what should they do? So they basically push her to the place, like lie down, open it up. We need to see. So those kind of thing happen to the refugees community, other refugee community. I'm not saying everyone is bad. Some because of some people, other people got bad names. So yeah. this is that kind of thing. But for me. Basically, I was able to access government education. I was able to access 
if I want to make any report, I don't have any challenges making report. Police report. Police reports. I have access to medical, even though I have to still pay high. Mm-hmm. I have. I'm paying the same amount as as other refugees because I'm a uh, UNHCR card holder. Mm-hmm. So I'm paying the same amount, but the treatment that I get is slightly, not slightly, actually different from the actual refugee community who come from Myanmar who don't understand the language. I was I was a very good athlete in my school anyway. So I was very, very good athlete. I was given uh, opportunity to continue my study, like given scholarship because of my academic and uh, my curriculum. Mm. But in the end of the day, the scholarship was not granted because my parents are not Malaysian. So maybe uh, the only... How that make me feel? Okay. That's a tough question. That's make me feel in one word. I wish I died. <laughs> because for my family, education is very important. Mm. Maybe some people or some community don't think education will bring you anywhere or the government education will bring you anywhere. But for me, it's really heartbreaking because all this while I have been doing a lot to contribute it to my school, to my state. I'm, I was representing Selangor for a few different uh, sports, like netball, high jump, 100 meter runs. I was I was representing Selangor, literally. But in the end of the day, you are not granting the scholarship for me just because my parents are not Malaysian. It's make me feel so bad. And then there are time in my life where I was mean to my parents saying if you know you are adding one more refugee in the world why did you give birth it's really heartbreaking i should not ask that question until today whenever i remember those words that i asked my mom i beg for her forgiveness because it's not her fault neither mine not even malaysian it's just that maybe allah ta'ala have decided much better thing that's why i'm here but experience teach me more than the fundamental organization of school. Yes, I think, yeah, that shows, I think, and you. All right, I don't want to take too much of your time. So maybe one last question. Why are you and your parents still here? How come you haven't left Malaysia yet? Or is that even more? Mm. In 2000, in 2006, 2007, my parents, six, seven, I don't really remember the year. My parents was called for resettlement. From that time onward, we are waiting for our resettlement. But at that time, we tried to delay a little bit because I wanted to sit for my exam, my SPNMS exam. After the exam, we was waited quite a long time. In 2014, UNICEF called us. But by that time, our family composition have some change because I get married mm-hmm. I get married to my husband and then they started the procedure again it took so many years in 2000 this year early this year 2019 January they called us and saying okay your parents file has been approved is your parents willing to go without you my dad has heart condition so he need bypass surgery as soon as possible so we said 
up to my parents. Can you just ask my parents? In my heart, definitely, I don't want my parents to live without me, because they has been living with me. So uh, they are like, okay, we ask your parents, but your parents say they want to wait for you. That's it's their decision. But if you are, if you guys deciding to send them first, my only request is I'm giving my my child custody to my parents, and my parents. I want my child to resettle with my parents. Which is again told by Yunisia that that's not possible because my par- my child still have parents, alive parents. So a question, a stupid question that I ask. So if me and my husband died, can he can she still resettle with my parents? <laughs> because in my mindset, it's like at least if I'm not going, if still take longer time for me to resettle to another country, which is which will be USA because my sister is there resettled by UNHCR. So at least my daughter go there. I don't want my daughter to face anything, any single thing that I face in my life. Honestly, I'm telling in social media or whatever, whoever watching that, I did face sexual harassment when I was in school, just because I'm a Burmese, not even Burmese, I'm Myanmarese, a Rohingya. Rohingya word was not famous at that time. It's, people call you Burma, like Uda mm. Burma, that kind of thing. I don't want her to face that. I don't want her to face any of my experience, any of my bad experience. I want her to grow up thinking that she's belong to a country and get full access of education. She's now two years and eight months old, but from now time onward, I keep telling her, no matter I resettle or not, if you resettle, make sure you fulfill my dream to complete education. In whatever field that you like, she's two and eight, but she's quite smart. <laughs> she's a quite bully in my family. The daughter is very smart. She is. She dared to tell you, Kev- apple and cherry story. I will never forget. Where she tell me what is the difference between apple and cherry? Because apple make you found out the existence of the cavity, where the cherry is just. Used to decorate a cake. She does tell that to me. But yeah, I want a good future for my daughter. Mm-hmm. If by chance UNHCR and Malaysian government cooperate and saying those who born here will get full citizenship, or not even citizenship, at least education right, work right, I don't think I will leave Malaysia. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I will leave. My daughter have a lot of things to contribute to this country. I can contribute a lot of things to this country. I do want to start, not start, resume my education. My mom and dad can at least go for Hajj. That's it. I I don't want much for the world to change. Like I don't want a fancy home. I don't want to work as a businesswoman. I don't want to. Uh, be in very high position of the country politics. No, my I have very small small ambitions. Like I really want to complete my study, mm. at least degree level. I want my daughter to have good education. My dad to go for his bypass surgery, and my mom and dad to perform her their Hajj. That's it. If I can get all those here by living in Malaysia, I promise I won't resettle. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
that will be all for today. We can always sample Simbang tomorrow. I think there was a lot that we can talk about. There is so much more we can talk about. We only really scratched the surface. But that will be all for today. Thank you so much, Hasna. Thank you. Alright. <laughs> You've been listening to Invisible Malaysia, a podcast about refugees produced by Tenaganika. Efforts like this rely on support from people like you. Help ensure continued support for marginalized communities by donating to Tenaganita through PayPal at www.tenaganita.net or find our bank information on our Facebook page. This podcast could not have been produced without the help of Tenaganita interns and others, particularly Hawa Hussein and Sandra Lam. I'm Nadine Faisal. Thank you so much for listening.